Good morning. So good to be with you today. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews this morning. I'm excited for the opportunity to open up the Word of God with you. And uh, how many of you are familiar, how many of you guys have read through or heard about um, Hebrews chapter 11? How many of you are familiar, familiar with that? Okay, awesome. Um, generally speaking, hey Max, uh, generally speaking, uh, as, uh, we've been walking through just here and there, uh, the book of Hebrews for the last few months. And as we've stepped into the book of Hebrews, oftentimes as we come through the book, um, it's a book that is uh, not, definitely not overly studied. Um, but when we come to chapter 11, this is the chapter of the book that um, some people are familiar with more so. And if you're not familiar with it, don't worry about it at all. We're not going to leave you behind. We're going to take you along with us. And this is a fascinating passage. And this is, I'm, I'm so incredibly thrilled to be able to stand up here today and be able to open up this chapter with you. And we're going to try to cover um, as much of the book, as uh, much of the chapter as possible. We're going to kind of do it in an overview sense. We're not going to be able to dig deep in every verse. It gives about 40 verses to cover. Um, and I think most of you would like to get lunch at some point today, right? And so we are going to take our time working through and kind of getting a good sense of what is this passage trying to impress on us? How is God speaking through his word this morning? If you're a guest with us today, we're thrilled that you're here. And we hope that you will get something from the word of God because we know that even though I am imperfect, even though everyone else who has been on this platform is imperfect, God's word is faithful, God's word is true, and God's word still speaks even through imperfect people. What a wonderful thing that is. And so as we jump in here, I want to give you a little bit of context. As we come to Hebrews, um, the first nine and a half chapters have the same overarching theme, and that's this. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. So you say, well, what is Jesus better than? And the short answer is yes. All right? Yes, he's better. Uh, what the author of Hebrews does, he's writing to a primarily Jewish audience, and he's saying all these religious traditions that you carried out, all of these feasts, all of these um, ceremonies that you walked through, these are good things, but Jesus is better. And for us today, most of us aren't coming from a Jewish background in here today. We're going to be a primarily what we'd call a Gentile audience, literally just meaning not Jewish. And so for us, you're going to say, well, how do those apply to me? But what we actually see is that those feasts and those ceremonies, those are parallels to a lot of things that we try to do and we try to insert into our lives as substitutes for God. And we try to pack ourselves out with all of these other things to replace the guilt, to replace the shame, to replace the brokenness that we experience on every level of our life. And so as we come into the book of Hebrews, the author says, hey, all those things you're trying to shove into that hole, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. He's the one that can fulfill. He's the one that is truer and greater and better than anything that you're trying to fix yourself with. And so about midway through chapter number 10, this really incredible thing happens where all of a sudden, instead of just saying Jesus is better, Jesus is better, facts and truths and uh, realities about who Jesus was and is, we come to this point where the author begins to say, so this is how we respond to Jesus and who he is. This is how we respond to Jesus. And so as we come into chapter 11, this is the first full chapter that's devoted to how do we respond to 
who Jesus is. And so as we come into this, we see that Jesus, we've learned so far throughout this book, and if you go back and study through the pages of Hebrews, you'll find that Jesus is a better righteousness. He's better than our sacrifices or our good works. He's a better messenger than the prophets or the angels. He's a better rest than Joshua was able to give. He's a better rest than the Sabbath rest of the Old Testament. He's a better priest than Aaron. He's better at absolving guilt than any priest or personal growth or any kind of track that you're able to get involved in. He's a better way to God. And in chapter 2 alone, it breaks down how Jesus is a better captain, a better king, and a better brother. Jesus is better in every imaginable way. What's really fascinating, to me at least, is as we step into chapter 11, we find in a book about how Jesus is better, we find a chapter about the exploits of men and women who lived before Jesus. And that's a little interesting, isn't it? Because the whole book is Jesus is better. And then all of a sudden we see this break where we see the, these things that were accomplished by men and women who never even had heard of Jesus. They knew the promise of the Messiah would come. They knew that one day God would fulfill that. But they didn't know who it was. They didn't see the end of that thing. And so what that should do as a reader is that should introduce a little bit of tension into our hearts. But it's really important for us, as we try to gain understanding of the Word of God, that we pay attention to the tension. When things don't feel like, the, okay, all of a sudden I thought I had an understanding of this, but now it's, it's just not coming together, we need to lean into that and say, well, what is God trying to communicate to me through His Word? And so this chapter, as he's speaking of all these men and women... This chapter, the topic of it, is primarily about this. One thing, one simple word, one small word you've heard before, faith. This whole chapter is devoted to faith. And what the author does, verse number one is where we're going to begin today. And we're not going to, uh, later we'll read a couple larger passages of this chapter. But for now, we're just going to look at a couple specific verses to set our foundation. So what is faith? Before we go any further, we need to define what is faith. Chapter 11, verse 1 says this. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Ah, it's much clearer, right? Like, wait, wait a second. Sometimes the definition uh, decreases clarity, doesn't it? Let's look at that one more time. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. All right, here's, here's, how, I could, here's how I could explain this. Um, when I was... Um, the church I was at before I was here, I was a children's pastor, and I was, uh, we went to a um, kind of a staff getaway to do some planning and some team building and things like that. And one of the, one of the uh, opportunities they had at this um, camp that we were at doing some of these things was they had this large um, ladder is the best way I can describe it, but what it was, it was basically four by fours that were about eight feet long that were attached to wire going up um, about 70 feet in the air, Okay. And so these are stacked at the bottom. They're, they're fairly close. They're about uh, probably two to three feet apart from each other. And so uh, I'm a little over six feet tall. And so, you know, I could climb up those fairly easy. But all of them began to space out a little further, a little further, a little further, the higher up you went. So by the time you're getting towards the top, these are about five feet apart. And they're stacked immediately above each other. So you're not climbing this way. You're kind of climbing this way. All right. And so um, we paired up. There were four of us who were involved in this, and we paired up. And uh, a friend of mine and I, one of my coworkers and I, we were the first ones on the ground. We were being the anchor for uh, our other 
coworkers, and they started climbing, and they got about three quarters of the way up, and, uh, and they decided, you know, that they had, they had had it, and they were a little older, you know, God bless them. When I say older, they were like 10 years older than me, so not old by any stretch, and so if either of you guys hear this, I'm still making fun of you. So what, they got up there, and they, they did well. They were respectable, made good time, and then they, what they did is they uh, leaned back on the ropes that were attached to the other two of us, and they began to descend, right? And we had to walk forward and let them, let the pulley system do its thing and kind of get them back down to the ground. So now my other friend and I, we, it's our turn up. And so we strap up, we get our helmets on, we get our harnesses on, and um, we tie off and we're, we're ready to go. Um, one thing I should tell you about my friend who's going up with me is he is deathly afraid of heights. Deathly afraid of heights. Me, I don't have a problem. Um, I am just, I had to do it so much, you know, working this or that. I just, I, whatever, it's fine. But my friend, oh, no way. I mean, he's like six feet off the ground and he's like trembling. I saw him climb on a ladder one time and I thought the ladder was going to fall over because he was just, uh. And so we begin to make this climb. And I, I was like, man, you don't have to do this. You don't have anything to prove to us. Um, you know, and we're just, yeah. but he's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So we begin the climb. And as we get about, we get about a quarter of the way up. Uh, but really, as we get, especially towards the top, he, he started just to get, um, you could, I could feel that he was anxious. And he and I, were, we're sharing, we're going up together at the same time. We're at, towards the top, you really have to lean on each other and have to support each other to be able to get any higher up. And so um, we're doing this together. And I could just tell that he's just, I mean, he's ready to have a panic attack. And I'm like, I don't know what to do if he like just goes into like full on anxiety mode well, he and I are the only two up 70 feet up off the, off the ground. I don't, I mean, am I supposed to like push him off if the time comes? Like, what's gonna happen? There's no way on earth he's letting go of this ladder. And uh, finally, we get to the top, and um, I'm standing on, on the top part. There's uh, these wires that are holding it. I'm holding on to it for balance, and I'm standing on the top. And he's sitting over here, and he's, he's sitting down, and he's sitting kind of like this. I'm like, you sure you don't want to stand up? You know, he's like, nope, good, nope, good, I'm good, I'm good. And the time came for us to finally come back down. And so um, I, I decided I was going to wait for him because I didn't want to leave him up there by himself. I was like, he's never coming down if I go down first. I mean, he's just going to be up here. We're going to be like, all right, man, we'll send food up. We'll get a helicopter. We'll, get, we'll do something to get you down from there. And so he was, I mean, he was so anxious. Uh, the time came that he had to demonstrate his faith. At this moment, he had to decide that he wanted to see his family again. Um, he had to decide that he didn't want us to have to go into like emergency evacuation mode, that he didn't want to make a scene of this. He, he, he said, you know what? I want to get down from here more than anything. Uh, I want to get down from here. And it's going to take faith. Because you see, he knew that he was sturdy on that block of wood. He knew that it was standing, uh, even if it wasn't where he wanted to be. But now he was going to have to put faith in that rope that he had never had to put faith in before. To this point, he hadn't needed it, right? He hadn't fallen. He hadn't done any of those things. And so he began, he began to very cautiously position his body to where he could lean off of this board. And finally, after, I mean, after it felt like hours, I was ready to, I refrained. But he, he finally, he said, okay, here I go. I, I can remember this. I can, out loud, okay, here I go. You know, I don't know if it's to me, to God, to him. I don't know what he was doing. Uh, but he grabs, he holds the rope, 
and he leans off, and he fell. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, he goes down smooth as silk. I mean, just everything goes perfectly, and he goes all the way down to the ground, and he demonstrated faith in that rope. He demonstrated faith in that system that would get him securely and safely to the ground. Now, let me tell you this today. Everyone has faith in something. Everyone has faith in something. If you're sitting in this room today, you can say, I don't believe in God. I don't know if he's real. I don't think he's real. Everyone has faith in something. Everyone, everyone you've ever met, everyone you've ever talked to has faith in something. And here's how we're going to take verse one, just break it down. Here's how we're going to define faith. Faith is the intense drawing toward an ultimate hope. The intense drawing toward an ultimate hope, evidenced by movement towards the object of that hope, especially when unseen. So what faith does is faith is what gives us hope. When we say, hey, I'm walking through this time in my life and it's dark and it's scary and I don't know what to do, this is the object that gives us hope. And by definition, faith pulls us towards that object especially when the object is unseen. Let me give you a couple of quick examples of faith. We find these here in, uh, the, in the chapter. Look at verse number eight. We see Abraham. Abraham is one of the founders of the Jewish nation. He's one of the patriarchs is what we call him. And the Bible tells us this in verse number eight. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he Went. And so what's going on here? He, here Abraham was called to leave things, okay? That's what we see in verse number, uh, verse number eight. He was called to leave things. He was called to leave his family for the promise that God made, I'll give you descendants, I will give you children. Uh, he left home to the promise of God that said, I will give you a land. And why would he do all of these things? Because we see, verse number 10, he looked for a city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. He saw something that was better than what he had ever seen, what he had ever known, and his hope began to rest in that, and it caused movement towards that thing. He sought an unseen homeland. Moses, and we're going to dig deeper into these here in just a moment, but Moses, we see this. We're going to read a few verses. Look at verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So Moses is a Hebrew, he's an Israelite. They're slaves in Egypt, but through a series of events, Moses is now the daughter of the king of Egypt, and that's where we pick up here. But he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Think about that, the reproach of Christ. Christ specifically says Christ. Did Moses ever meet Christ? If, if you're not familiar with your chronology here, Moses was thousands of years before Jesus was born. Thousands of years. He never knew the name of Christ. He never saw Jesus. He didn't know anything about what we call the cross. He, he didn't understand any of the things that we now see, but what did he do? He esteemed the reproach of this Christ, this Messiah, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Verse 27, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. 
So what did he, what did he do? He left pleasure. Instead, he received mistreatment. He angered the king to please the king of kings. He rejected Pharaoh's daughter, but he kept the Passover, which we'll get to in a few minutes. But why did he do all of these things? Look at verse 27. I want to look at verse 27. The second half here, watch this. For he endured seeing him who is invisible. He was seeking an invisible savior, a God that he, he wasn't able to see with his eyes. He, he was coming to him. He was being drawn to him. So what is faith? It's the intense drawing toward an ultimate hope, evidenced by movement toward the object of that hope, especially, especially when it's unseen. So today, as we dig into this text, I want to give you three truths about faith. Three truths about faith that we find here in the chapter, Hebrews 11. First of all, we find this. Faith responds to God's voice. Faith responds to God's voice. Look at um, verse number six. Verse number six is a pretty well-known verse within this uh, chapter. And it says this, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So how can we summarize this verse? Faith believes that God exists and that he's worth following. Faith believes that God exists and that he's worth following. You see, even as we look at this, God exists is not equal to God is just God is real. But what that means here is that God exists is God is who he says he is. God is as he is revealed throughout scripture. So when we see this statement, especially within the context of this book, and we say God is, we see that he believe that he is. He's talking about all the things that he's just told us about himself in the first 10 chapters. All of these things that he's written out, how he revealed himself through Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, the perfect, sinless sacrifice, coming into a broken and sinful world. Dying for our sins, raising again. Must believe that he, he is as he says he is and that he's worth following. That he's worth following. How does faith respond to God's voice? Look at verse number seven. The Bible says this, by faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet. So he was warned of God, right? We see the word of God spoke. The word of God moves and what does he do he not he being warned of God of things not seen moved with fear? He sees these things that no one else had ever seen before. He's hearing about things that no one else had ever heard of before. And the voice of God moved him. See, no warned of God. We see verse number eight by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out. These are the first two major examples, major heroes that we see within this chapter. And we see him immediately saying that they were called of God. They were moved of God. God told them. God warned them. God spoke to them. And this is not a new thing to Hebrews 11. This is actually something. Um, let me back up and explain this. As you're reading through this, this is written primarily to Hebrews. So these are people who knew every person that you're seeing in this chapter. So you and I, we might read through this and say, you know what, I'm not very familiar with the story of Jephthah later in the, in the passage, or I'm not very familiar with the story of, and you can insert this name here or there. Um, the people that are reading this, like they've been this has been ingrained in them since they were in elementary school. This has been driven into them time and time and time. They know everybody on this list. So as the author's speaking out these things, he's making some assumptions that probably wouldn't be true to you and me. 
And so as he's going into this, he's just reminding them of all the times that God had spoken, God had spoken, God had spoke. Just to give us an overview, in Genesis chapter 8, verse 15, God spoke to Noah. In Genesis 12, verse number 1, the Lord says to Abraham, Exodus 24, verse 12, the Lord said to Moses, Isaiah 38, with the prophets, then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah. And we see that time and time and time and time and time and time again. Ad nauseum we see this thing, the word of God, the voice of God, God called, God spoke. And in fact, even within this chapter, we see Hebrews uh, chapter number one, verse number one. We'll get to that in just a minute. Before we even do this, understand this. I want to make this statement. I want you to catch this. Faith in God cannot exist without hearing from God. Faith in God cannot exist without hearing from God. Look at uh, Romans 10, verse 17. I think we have it up on the screen, so you don't have to turn over there. If you want to study this out yourself, more than welcome to. Watch what it says here. Faith comes by what? Hearing. Hearing. What do we hear that brings us to faith? By the word of God. Our hearing and our faith cannot come apart from the word of God, apart from God speaking. That faith is a response to God's revelation, to God's word. And so when we look at these things, every time we see these things come about, uh, when, when God speaks, this is the beginning of the adventure. This is the beginning of this faith. There's no hearing, there's no faith, because hearing comes, faith comes from hearing. And what does hearing come from? The Word of God. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 1, and we have it uh, up here on the screens as well. The Bible says this, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, spake in time past. So this is from the very, very beginning. This is ingrained in the whole book. Okay, understand that um, if you've been with us through this journey through Hebrews, um, it's, been, it's been a few months, and so you might have to go back and get a refresher. This is one sitting for the people hearing this. So as he's coming back to these people, he's reminding, he's already told them, Hebrews 1, 1, this. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us, how? By his Son. And so the theme of the book is this, it's Jesus is better. But another way to explain the theme of Hebrews, maybe the, the next step towards this, maybe sub-point, uh, maybe something implied within it is this. God is speaking, God is currently, actively, presently speaking, which leaves us kind of with this implied question. Are you listening? Are you listening? Throughout the book of Hebrews, you see over and over and over again, the introduction to the book says he is speaking to us today through his son. And so God is speaking, which means this. If we're not hearing him, are we listening? And there's three specific ways that we see that God speaks to us. We're going to hit these really, really quick. Three ways God speaks to us. First of all, through his son, as we see in Hebrews 1.1. You see, he used to speak through the prophets. And, uh, he used to speak to the fathers through these ways. But, but now, in these last days, he speaks to us through his son. And let me tell you, that's a good thing. That's a better thing. That's an improvement. That is, that's that's the, the culmination of all of these things, is that now he speaks through his son. How else does he speak? Hebrews chapter 3, verse number 7, uh, tells us this. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost, Ghost saith. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith. This is an interesting statement here because right after this, he quotes Psalm 95. But what does he say first? He says, the Holy Ghost says. You know what's interesting about that word says? It doesn't say said. It's not past tense. He speaks through his Son. He speaks through his Holy Spirit. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost says. And then how does the Holy Spirit speak? Well, even in this passage, what do we see? He, he speaks through his word. He speaks, he quotes there the psalm. 
Hebrews chapter 4 tells us this, the word of God is currently, presently, actively quick. It means it's alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, the joints and marrows, the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So God still speaks to us today through his Son, through his Holy Spirit, through his Word. God still speaks to us today. He's actively speaking. You say, I haven't heard an audible voice. That's what we're talking about here. He's given us a better revelation. He's giving us a better medium here through the word of God. He reveals himself through the power of his spirit and through his son. Uh, One author said this, apart from speaking, apart from this, speaking by his son through his spirit in the Bible, God does not promise that he will speak any other way. Now, can God speak other ways? I'm not saying God can't, that he's incapable. But those are the ways that he promises that he will speak to us. Those are the ways that he says, if you're looking for me, this is how I can guarantee you will find me. You come to the word and the Holy Spirit moves within you through the power of the word of God as it's been revealed. And you know who it reveals to you? It reveals the son. It reveals Christ. So God is speaking. The question is, are we listening? So the first, that's the first facet of faith, is that faith responds to God's voice. Secondly, faith move toward, moves towards God's call. Faith moves towards God's call. Faith doesn't exist without action. Faith does not exist without action. The book of James delves into this. I'm just going to pull one verse out of here, and I'd love for you to go study it for yourself. James chapter 2 says this, Even so faith, if it has not works, is dead. Being alone. What good is dead faith? What good is dead anything, right? The dead doesn't function. Dead doesn't carry. Dead doesn't move. Even so, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead being alone. In fact, uh, it's really, really interesting. Uh, I'm kind of a word nerd, okay? So I like, when I read scripture, I love like, learning about these different things. The word that uh, there, is no, there is no Hebrew noun for faith. So all of these guys that we're reading about right now, you say, oh, if you, were to, if you were to walk up to Abraham and his tongue, you know, go to him and say, oh, Abraham, you had such wonderful faith. You'd have been like, what? It doesn't make sense. Grammatically speaking, it's almost like they would say this. They wouldn't have said, uh, you have faith. They would have said, you faithed. It's an action. There, there isn't something that just, it is this. It's movement towards. And so as we look at this, we understand faith is, it means movement. And even as we just walk through the chapter, we find that the elders obtained a good report through faith. We find that through faith, we understand through faith, Abel offered through faith, Enoch was translated through faith, Noah prepared through faith, Abraham obeyed, he sojourned, he offered through faith, Isaac and Jacob, they blessed through faith, Joseph commanded through faith, Moses refused Pharaoh, forsook Egypt, passed through the Red Sea. Through faith, these people did. And you see, these actions, these works are not the things that granted their salvation, but they are evidences that the faith that their salvation had was, it was real, that it existed. These things are evidences of faith never exists without action because faith moves us to action. Faith is action. Just like, um, or just like my, my friend, all right, that he's, he's hanging on for your life. You know what he could say? He could sit up, he could have sat up there. He could still be sitting there to this day. And he could say, you know what, I have faith that this rope will hold me if I, come, if I try to come down. But I'm not leaving. Does he have faith? No. Be like, okay, that's funny, man. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it'll hold me. I'm just going to stay up here a little bit longer because I don't want to come down because I don't want to die. 
okay, wait a second. You don't have faith that it's going to hold you. There is no movement going along. But faith, faith means movement. Faith means movement. It doesn't exist without movement. It's going to bring faith. Faith's not willing. Faith is willing to risk everything knowing that that rope will hold. Faith's willing to risk everything knowing that the object of that faith is faithful. Understand that we can be full of faith because he is faithful. We can be people full of faith because he, God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, the object of that faith, he is faithful. So understand that faith, it means movement. Faith pulls us towards that object of our hope. Faith doesn't let us sit still. It doesn't let us be complacent. Faith draws us more and it draws us out of our comfort zone. It draws us out into the deep. It doesn't keep us in shallow water. And you might say, hey, how does, well, how do I know God? How do I know God's going to move? If I start moving, how do I know where I'm supposed to go? Let me tell you this. God doesn't steer uh, stalled ships, okay? God steers moving ships. You understand, you ever sat in a boat and you try to move the rudder back and forth, right? Especially a sailboat, something that's going to be uh, powered by some other source, right? If the motor's not on, if, if the sails have wind, you're not going anywhere. You can throw that back and forth. You're not moving, right? Movement is necessary. If you say, hey, I don't know where God is leading me in, let me, let me ask you this. Are you moving towards him in the way that he's already told you to do it? Are you seeking him faithfully through the scripture? Are you faithfully doing the things he's already told you to do? Because if you're not moving towards him, don't expect that he's going to all of a sudden intervene and say, hey, come this way with me. You're not moving. Faith means movement. And finally this, finally this. The third truth about faith, faith anticipates God's work. Faith anticipates God's work. Jump down to uh, verse 32. Watch this group of people. This is, this is fantastic. And some of these people in here, uh, some of these stories, some of these illustrations, uh, maybe not familiar to you, and that's fine. I would encourage you in your time, sit down, study them out, find out what was special about these men and these women. Look at verse 32. What shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, women received their dead, raised to life again. Isn't that such an encouraging list? Isn't that so exciting? You see these things that God has done and God has worked through his people and you say, wow, that's incredible that all these things by faith God is able to do and God is able to work. But, But that's not how he finishes the list. Notice that this is not how the list ends. Instead, what does it say? Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Does that sound like the life that we want to live? 
Does anything about that to our flesh seem appealing? And this brings us to a major misunderstanding that we can have with faith. A major misunderstanding that we can have with faith. Why would God allow people of faith to endure these things? These weren't people who had sinned. These weren't people who were irresponsible. These were not people who had walked away and rejected God. This was not God's judgment on them. These were people that were faithful to him. These were people full of faith. And we say, God is faithful, yet how did these people endure? How did these people, why would he subject them to these things? Understand this. If your faith is only good for this life, your faith is no good. If your faith is only good for this life, your faith is no good. You see, the faith that God calls us to is not a faith that just exists in the temporal things. If your faith must have validation here on this world, you're not going to make it through these kind of things. You're not going to be able to endure these kind of things. You see, these people understood that the object of their faith was not something that they could touch, something that they could feel, something that they could hear, something that they could see. Instead, this hope, this longing that was calling them out into deeper things and into greater things was something that was a city unseen, a God invisible. They were not capable of perceiving all of these things that he was doing. But what did they do? They had faith. They had faith. And understand that our hope is not in this life only. In fact, we're promised eternal life, but we're promised that in this life. Jesus said what? He said, hey, if they hate you, remember, they hated me first. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, oh, all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You know what that does is it sets us up and it says, you know what? It's either persecution or or ungodliness. Those Those are the two options. And that doesn't mean that we go when we seek out persecution and we go to the person, we're like, hey, you don't like Jesus? All right, come at me. You know, that's not what we're trying to do, but understand this. A faith that has to have validation, a faith that requires validation in this life is a faith that it's going to fail and it's going to break. Because the fact is, is that this world is broken. This world is sinful. This life is hard. We suffer disappointment. What happens when someone that we care about, they, they, they die suddenly? What happens when we go into the doctor's office and the cancer's not gone, it's gotten worse? What happens when we get the phone call that someone that we care about, we love deeply, that they're no longer with us? They were healthy. They were, they were fine just a minute ago. I just talked to them. But wh- what happens in those moments of despair? What happens when deliverance doesn't come? What happens when we lose the job that we had been working for and praying for? What happens in those moments is all of a sudden our faith invalidated because, oh, God, you didn't come through for me. How dare you, God? No, our faith finds a hope that's greater than this life because our faith rests in e- eternal hope. And in fact, we really need to understand this. This is going to require a a change in our thinking. Look at verses 39 and 40. This is going to require a change in our thinking. The Bible says this, these all, all all of these, including the ones who were torn asunder and devoured and afflicted, these all having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided something better for us. What this requires, this means that we have to redefine our definition of better. Because you know, you know what we can tend to do? And I, I'm, I'm right there with it. I think it's exciting. I can't wait for it. All right. But let's say if we were able to 
Um, and we've, I mean, you've probably, if you've been around church long enough, you've had these discussions where you're like, man, what would be the thing in the Bible that you wish you could see? And we go back to, oh, David and Goliath. And oh, man, absolutely. I mean, it's written like, you know, this great TV action, you know, I mean, oh, it's an incredible thing that, that, that David does. Or we, we look back at Moses and the people of Israel parting as God parts the Red Sea and they walk through it. Oh, wow, that's incredible. That's amazing. But understand this. Jesus, here, we're told that there's a better thing for us. There's a better thing for us. And you can say, well, I don't see any, you know, waters coming apart. I don't see uh, these, these giants. I, I, want, I want to make an argument for this. I want, I, want to, I want to ingrain this in because I think the Bible very clearly supports this. See, look at um, John 14, verse 12. In this context, the disciples had seen physical miracles. They had seen um, feedings of thousands of people with just a few loaves and fish. They had seen uh, lame healed. They had seen, uh, even at this point, um, they had seen dead raised to life, the story of Lazarus, if you're familiar with it. They had seen all these miraculous things. And then Jesus says something really, really, really interesting. Verily, verily, Jesus speaking, I say unto you, his disciples, he that believes on me, all right, so if that's you in here, he that believes on me, okay, how many of you, raise of hands, you would say, I believe on Jesus. He's the object of my hope and my faith. I, I, I would give testimony that I believe on Jesus. Okay. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I, shall, that I do, shall he do also. I mean, how many, how many of you, leave it on that first one there, Justin. Uh, how many of you have ever uh, raised someone from the dead? How many of you have ever um, put your hands on a blind man and he was healed? How many of you ever taken someone who was lame and unable to walk and you raised them up? How many of you, let me say that. What are you talking about, Jesus? Watch this. He doesn't stop this. This is incredible. He doubles down. Watch for the end of this verse. Greater works than these shall he do because I go to my Father. Greater works than these shall he do. So what does that mean? What does that mean? Understand that as Jesus healed blind eyes, those eyes would one day go dark again, right? Understand that as Jesus took these sick physically and he, uh, he healed them and he raised them to the strength, they would grow weak again. Understand that as Jesus fed these crowds, their bellies would one day be empty. As the dead were raised to life on a couple of occasions, they would one day die. They're not still wandering around somewhere, okay? They're dead. But the work he's called us to is better and greater. Because the fact is now, through the power of his spirit, through the power of the word of God, spiritually blind now can see. Spiritually sick are healed of the disease of sin. Spiritually hungry are given the bread and the water of life. And spiritually dead are raised to walk in the newness of life. Understand that if you are sitting here today and if you raise your hand saying, I believe on Jesus, you were not once a bad person that's now made a good person. You were once a dead person that's now made an alive person. You were once a blind person that now sees. You were once a sick and dying person that is now healed. You were once all of these things. And we are sitting here today as testimonies to the work that God has done. And when Jesus says, greater things than these will I do, he has proved it in the validation, the confirmation of these things is sitting in this room here today. Not just here, but around the world. We find people that once were in darkness, once were separated for all of eternity from God, now made right with him. 
There's a greater work that God has done, and there's a greater work that God is doing. We have to understand that our definition of greatness is not fulfilled through these works that are able to be seen with our eyes. We have to put on our spiritual eyes. We have to be like the pure in heart that Jesus describes when he says, they will see God in Matthew 5. Understand that here, God is doing a greater work even in our midst today, but we sometimes, we are so callous, we can be so jaded, and we can be so complacent within that, that we just just miss it. But God is doing a greater work. And just like we've talked about this over and over through the book of Hebrews, if it's your first time hearing from this book, catch this, understand this. Through the book of Hebrews, it points to, it points to shadows of things that would one day be in substance. It says this is a sacrifice that will one day point to Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. This is a priesthood that will one day point to Jesus, the great and the perfect high priest. Over and over and over again, shadow, substance, shadow, substance. Things that point towards but aren't the real thing. And understand that as we look at the healing of the physically sick, as we look at the raising of the physically dead, those are all shadows of things that would one day come and are come through the power of the Son of God. These are all things that are fulfilled in us today. These are all things that God is still doing and that he calls us to be a part of. And look at verse number 40. God having provided some better thing for us, that they, these Old Testament prophets, these people that were faithful they without us should not be made perfect. Hebrews 11 is less about the men and women of faith and more about the one who's worthy of that faith. Understand today, we don't serve a God that's called the good I was. We serve the great I am. He still exists today. He's still doing work today. He's not sleeping. He's not passive. He's not waiting on the wings. He is continuing to work. And faith anticipates this work. And faith sees big things where others see nothing. Faith goes out and says, hey, I am going to take a big dare. I'm going to take a big bet. I'm going to go all in on this object of my faith, knowing that he is faithful who has promised these things. We can be full of faith because he's faithful. He's faithful. See, God is still breaking chains. God is still setting captives free. God is still making blind eyes to see. God is still making lame walk and dumb speak and deaf hear and dead to life. He's still doing these things. We have to see it. And here's the amazing thing with this. Look at verse 40. This is verse 40. This is fantastic. That they without us should not be made perfect. That word perfect means this complete, whole. The story that God is telling is not complete without those of us, the generation, the day and age that we are in today. They without us, it's not complete. See, God foreknew, God saw you, God knew you. God knows that even still today, he is working out and he's carrying out his plans. And God is still going forward and he's still doing big things, great things, world-changing things. And it's easy for us to look at the darkness and say, wow, that's very dark. But understand that the darkness doesn't drive out the light. The darkness doesn't send the light packing. The light comes in and the light shines in darkness. In the darkness, they don't understand it. They compre it comprehends it not. The Bible tells us in John 3, but understand. Understand, God is still working. God is still calling us. Understand that our, our faith is dependent on these things. God is speaking. God is speaking today. My question for you is, are you listening? Maybe you're sitting here today and you say, I don't know Jesus. 
I don't know who he is. He's not, I, I don't know what you mean when you say he's my savior. I've never put my faith in him. I've never trusted him to save me. Understand, God, that's you. God is speaking. God is speaking to you. As you're sitting here today, as the word of God has been demonstrated, as Jesus, you hear these things about Jesus and how he's better and how he's worthy of our faith. He's there and he's speaking to you today. The question is, are you listening? Are you listening? You see, God is calling. You see, people of this church, people of Monclova Road Baptist Church, God is calling. God is he's speaking to you. He's calling you to move out into greater things, to more faithful things, to things that require reaching out and going out and doing a little bit more than you were comfortable doing before. But God says, you can be full of faith because I'm faithful. And you can do these things because I am the one that's empowering you. I am the one that's working through you. God is calling you, church. Are you moving? And God is working. God is working. Are you anticipating these things? You see, we shouldn't sit around and think, oh, man, the best days are the past. We need to go back to that thing. We need to go back to that thing. You know the thing we need to go back to? We need to go back to the Word of God. It's not a period of time. It's not a place in time. We need to go back to the Word of God. If your hopes are set on a specific era or a specific location, you're not getting it because our hope is set on the one who is eternal. The great I am. He exists. He is. He is where we are. He works and he's still moving. We should be anticipating these things. And so how is God compelling you today? I think there are people in this room that God is calling towards uh, radical generosity. That maybe you say, you know what, uh, things are tight, but God's calling me to, to give of the tithe. I understand. Listen, I understand Things, things can be tight. Things can be difficult financially, but God calls us to obedience and God calls us to stewardship and to faithfulness. Maybe you're saying, I give, but God's calling me to support others who are going out with the gospel. And you know what? God is moving. I think there are some people that God's moving towards generosity. But you know what? I think there are people that God is moving towards going, towards radical going. To step out of your comfort zone, to say, you know what, God, maybe, maybe God's calling you to step away from a job and to go to another place, go to another country, go to a place that people need God. Maybe God's calling you to say, hey, you know what, I need to reprioritize my time. There are people in Toledo who need the gospel. There are people in my backyard that they need, they need the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I think there are people in this room, I know there are people in this room that God is calling you to go. I don't know how he's calling you to go. God will impress that on you. But the fact is, is that if we are moving, he's going to direct us. God's calling us to big things. God's calling you to big things. He's not calling you to sit on the sidelines. He's calling you to be a part of the work that he's doing. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you that you 